Well, I was, as I was watching television the other night, I was bombarded with ads for uh, men and women running for the presidency. Uh, I've watched some excerpts of the debates. I have seen the newscasts. So we are in the presidential season. And I was sitting the other night, I was reminded of my own first run for the presidency. Uh, I actually did run for the presidency. It wasn't my choice. It was in the seventh grade. It was in Nathan Hale Elementary School in Toledo, Ohio, and Mr. Hathaway was our homeroom teacher. And for some reason, we had class elections. I don't know who thought about that, who came up with the idea, but uh, he asked for nominations. And uh, my name, along with a girl, I can't remember her name, but my name, I remember my own, was nominated for president. And uh, I, I remember thinking to myself, wow, I could be president of my seventh grade class. And it really did something to me. And uh, there's a concept in physics where you, uh, where you, they say you can do an infinite amount of things in a finite amount of time. It's very important when you calculate things. And, and I cannot tell you how fast my mind races. I thought, wow, I could be president. I could be somebody. I could be in charge. I could have power. There's a statement about power that probably most of you have heard not all of you, the statement is this, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you heard that? I've heard that all my life. I've, I've never known until I prepared this, ser this sermon who it was that said it, and uh, it, I was surprised. I'd never heard of the gentleman. His name was Sir John Dalton Actons, hyphenated name. Uh, he was British, uh, lived in the 19th century. He was a member of the House of Lords, and uh, he penned those words. And I always assumed that those words were, were addressed to a situation where there, was, where there was political struggle and we want to keep politicians out of situations where they have absolute power. But interestingly enough, he was writing uh, those sentiments uh, concerning the council in the Vatican that was taking place that was going to, in the middle of the 19th century, declare that everything the Pope said was infallible, and he was adamantly against it because he felt that that would be a, uh, an opportunity for corruption of power. Now, I'm not making a statement on Roman Catholic theology. I'm not saying one way or the other in terms of how that came about, but I was reminded of this. Religious power done poorly is probably the most awful use of power imaginable. A lot of times we think political power done wrongly is awful, and it can be, but the Bible doesn't talk against political power, but it is very strong against the men who, who were using power in an inappropriate way in the church. We're in this series, Money, Sex, and Power, and if you've been here the last few weeks, you heard our lead pastor, John Parker, talk about money, did an excellent job, money handled poorly, money done right and with the right perspective on money. And if you hear, hear the last two weeks, one of our teaching ministers, Zach Van Dyke, talked about uh, the, the lies our culture purveys concerning sex and sexuality uh, one week, and then he talked about God's purposes for sex last week. And if you missed any of those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. They, they were not just well presented, but they were powerful in terms of the concepts that we're talking about. And, and uh, they didn't give me money or sex, they gave me power. So I guess I'm the guy who gets the power. 
But uh, that's, I think, the most important of all these three issues concerning how we live our lives and how we relate to the people around us. Because power is the thing that drives, many times, the whole concept our culture has on money and sex. I watch the presidential debates and, and, and the, the competition going on, and I'm watching men and women who are aspiring, arguably, to the most powerful position in the world. Why? Why would they do that? What would be their motives? I watch candidates attack each other, many times ridicule each other. I go, OK, what's the purpose behind this? And I think, for most, if not all, they desire to have that power. Now, you can handle power in, a, in an appropriate way or an inappropriate way, but there is a draw to that kind of ability to have that kind of power. People of, of all ages and, and centuries past have commented on the concept of power. Plato said the measure of a man is what he does with power. Tolstoy, interesting comment, he says, power is a word the meaning of which we do not understand. He wouldn't even dare to define it. And I think Tolstoy, in his wisdom, was, was saying to us, you know, power is something we don't fully comprehend. We can't get our arms around it completely. And Abraham Lincoln, the most quotable of all men I think who've ever lived, he's got wonderful quotes. He said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. If you want to test a man's character, give him power. So I'd like us to look at how Jesus addresses this concept of power, and he does it all through scripture, really, in terms of the Gospels, but especially a passage in Mark chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or look in your bulletins, uh, it's there. And we will start in verse 35. And I will uh, read uh, the first uh, five verses of this passage, 35 through 40. Uh, the uh, uh, event is a time that Jesus has with the disciples. And uh, we will begin to verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, the context for this passage, Jesus' ministry is at its zenith. Jesus is a man who is noteworthy in this culture. He has masses of people following him. Many believe that he is the, the promised Messiah. There is excitement wherever he goes. He heals men and women. He talks and, and challenges and teaches. And people are fascinated and motivated and captured by his teaching. This man was a powerful man. And James and John were two of his disciples. In fact, there were two of his special disciples. Jesus had several followers. Uh, one one uh, passage of the gospel says he sent out 70 disciples in, into 
uh, Galilee to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. Uh, and uh, a closer circle of disciples around him were the 12 that we, we call the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. And in that circle of 12, there was a smaller circle of three men, Peter, James, and John. And two of these men, James and John, are in this passage. And these were the closest of the disciples to Jesus. Jesus took these men uh, aside many times and, and, and would give them uh, the privilege of, of having some special experiences in teaching. So James and John are brothers. Interesting also that Jesus uh, gave his disciples new names. Peter uh, was not his original name. Uh, Simon was his original name, and Jesus gave him the name Peter, or Rock. Uh, you know his nickname for James and John? It's the best nickname of all scripture. You know what it is? Jesus called them the Sons of Thunder. Wouldn't that be an awesome nickname? He called these guys the Sons of Thunder. Where did that come from? And scholars aren't quite sure, but James and John, in, in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus was cutting through Samaria to get to Jerusalem from Galilee, Samaritans didn't care for the Jews, and they were trying to prepare for lodging and meals at the town ahead, and they refused to uh, give Jesus hospitality. James and John together came to Jesus and said, okay, should we call fire down from heaven and devour the city? And Jesus, of course, did not do it. But maybe that's where they got sons of thunder. These, these were movers and shakers. These were zealous men. And they wanted in on the power. They wanted to be there. What's the significance of sitting on the right hand? In, in this culture, if you sat on the right hand, and even the left, if you were closest to the person who, who was the most powerful person in the room, it was a position of honor. It was a position of favor. It was a position of power. Years ago, I was in my early 30s. Uh, I was part of a parachurch ministry, and, and we were doing campus uh, ministry in the Northeast. And our national director, uh, called us together for a conference. We took some psychological testing. I remember that, that conference, some leadership testing. And uh, at, a, at a subsequent get-together, he took me aside and sat me down and said, hey, I, I looked at your testing, and uh, I think you're, you're being underused. I think, I think there are some things that I think you could do and, uh, better and, and have a better impact for our, our ministry. And uh, he subsequently recruited me to a position that would take me several notches over where I was. And uh, I had been passed over for a couple positions, and, and I thought, wow, that's, that's really cool that he would, would think that of me. And, and they flew me and my wife from the East Coast out to California, where our headquarters was. And I remember thinking to myself, hey, they found me. Wow, this is great. And I met with a consultant for a couple days, and I... I met our, our founder and president, and I had a time with him, and they talked about my job description, they talked about all the things that, that, that I would be responsible for, and I, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is, this is really something. And you know what I found out? Those seventh grade feelings were coming back. I, I, I could have power. Jesus' response to James and John is, is both sobering and challenging. He says to them, you, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And of course, you know, they're, they're going all bore for this. They say, we can. 
And then Jesus goes on to say he really didn't have the authority to grant their request. Interesting, isn't it? That wasn't his to give. Now, let's read on, verse 41. When the ten, the other ten disciples, heard about this, they became excited that James and John wanted, wanted to be in a, in a position of power, right? They were really supportive of them? No. They became indignant. They're upset. Jesus called them together and said, and here Jesus waxes eloquent on power done wrong. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The other ten disciples did not like the power grab. All, in a sense, wanted to have that position of power. They wanted to be the person that would be closest to Jesus. You might be thinking as, as, as we're talking about this subject, well, I'm not really in a position of leadership or power. This really doesn't pertain to me. This pertains, I think, to every one of us because we are all vying for power in our own way. Not to be president, but we are, we are, we are striving to have power, to, to, to be able to influence in, in a significant way our children, those of us who have children. We want to have power, at least in terms of uh, having significance in our jobs. We want to have power in terms of our marriages. We, we, we want to be integral in terms of making decisions in, in, in our marriages. We want to have power over our competitors. We want to have many of us power over our parents. We want to influence them to do what we want them to do. We want to have, I want to have power over my future. But Jesus talks about power and its misapplication, power done wrong. Three things that he mentions here, power done wrong. It says, first of all, power done wrong says, I'm better. I'm better. Jesus says, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over others. They exercise lordship. This is the first false message of power, superiority. If I'm in power, I'm superior to you. I have chronic sins. One of my chronic sins is I'm, I'm a ridiculous competitor. I just am. Um, have I shown you any pictures of my grandkids lately? Uh, uh, I've got two grandkids in Chicago. I'd like to show you. This was taken just a few days ago. Um, that's, of course, me in the middle, Gramps. <laughs> Papa Jim. Uh, Fiona is on the left, and my grandson, Keller, is on the right. And uh, Fiona is five, Keller is seven, and uh, he's holding his latest Plants and Zombies book. I mean, it's really quite, quite an interesting reading. I mean, we had a great time. Uh, Fiona, my, my granddaughter, uh, knew that I was going to, to be coming to visit them without my wife. Renee is in Russia doing ministry in Siberia, of all places. And she, uh, in order to welcome me and for me not to feel alone, she went into my bedroom and she put these by my pillows. That, that's, that's my granddaughter. 
provide these, these teddy bears for me so I wouldn't be alone at night. I thought that was a sweet gesture. Also, what I did with her is uh, we started playing games. My grandkids love to play games. And I had some time with my, my granddaughter alone, and we played the classic kid game, Candyland. And Candyland is, is a pretty straightforward game. You start at the bottom, you wind your way to the top, you spin a dial, it goes on colors, you move the colors. And so we, we went to the basement and we started playing Candyland. And we started our first game and she's spinning, I'm spinning. She's trouncing me in Candyland. And you know what that little five-year-old sweet girl did? Every, before every turn, she goes, oh, Grandpa, look at how far I'm ahead of you. <laughs> every time. Every spin, oh, Grandpa, let's see how far I'm ahead of you now. And she beat me the first game. And you know, you go along with that. You love your grandkids. It's sort of nice that, that she gets to taste a little bit of victory. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously more intelligent than she is, uh, you know, but she won. And the second game was exactly like the first. And every move she counted. So look how many spaces, Grandpa, I am in front of you. And it started to get to me. Third game. And I'm finally beating her, and I'm feeling really good about that. Can you imagine? <laughs> Candyland, and I'm feeling good about beating my five-year-old granddaughter. And then, then, she spins, and, and the, the dial lands on the ice cream cone. There are little, little candies along the way that you get to leap to or go back to, peppermints and peanuts and, and lollipops. She gets the ice cream cone that jettisons her way past me, just a few spaces from victory. She goes, oh, Grandpa, I'm going to beat you again. <laughs> that little sinner, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and how I'm really annoyed. She said, Grandpa, that. And then after she had beat me the third time, she goes, Grandpa, let's play an easier game. <laughs> and I go, honey, there's nothing easier than Candyland. She says, Grandpa, I just beat you three times. Let's get an easier game. So. She picked out Connect Four, and I beat her three straight games so I could feel better about myself. What is it with me? Huh? You know what it is? It's, you've got it, too. Maybe you're not as competitive as I am in that sense. But we all want to be better than in certain situations. We want to be superior. That's power done wrong. It's wrong perception of power is introduced into God's creation through his most magnificent creation, Lucifer. Isaiah, the prophet, records in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. You know what, Lucifer? This beautiful creature, there's nothing, nothing God created that's more beautiful than Lucifer. And he finally comes to a point where he says these words, I will be like the Most High. Self-elevation. Pride. My biggest struggle with power is always with God. That's how sin was introduced into the universe. You say, well, he's just saying I want to be like the most. I know the, the created being can't say to the creator, I want to be equal to you, because that's basically saying I want to be superior. I want to make the call. My way is just as good. First element Jesus says power done wrong is, is this whole idea of I'm better in superiority. There's a second, and that's I'm in control. He says that the rulers of the Gentiles exercise authority. Power done wrong says I get to control you. We, we really, I really can't control anything. 
here are some things I can't control. I can't control my health. Now, I can work on my health. I can try to be as healthy as I can and, and make wise choices. But ultimately, I, I can't control whether or not I'm going to be ill or healthy. My son-in-law, the father of those two that I just saw you, was on a business trip to San Francisco recently, about three and a half weeks ago, and he became deathly ill, admitted to the hospital. Doctors uh, used the word, word were, were baffled by what's going on, just tremendous abdominal pain, 104 degree fever, it was awful. My, my daughter flew out to San Francisco, uh, other grandparents took, took the kids and cared for them while she was there, we didn't know. And I want to thank those of you, I, I put it on my Facebook page and asked for prayer, and uh, I'm sure several of you are here, a lot of some of people are, are, are with me on Facebook, and I just asked for prayer. There were 450 responses of people who prayed for my son-in-law. Uh, Sunday night, it looked like he was not gonna get out of the hospital for a while, he'd been in for days, and by the next day, we prayed, and uh, uh, he was much better, and was able to go home, and he's doing very well now. But who controls that? He wasn't expecting that. Can you control the stock market? Can you control your relationships? Not really. I can't control who's going to be president. Can you? I'm not so sure I want to control who's going to be president. Those are your parents. Can you really control your children? Uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan said that uh, when he had his fourth child, he and his wife, he says, having your fourth child is like you're drowning and someone throws you a baby. Isn't that a good description? It's out of control. Power done wrong says, I get, to, I get to be in control. There's a third thing that Jesus mentions in terms of power done wrong. And he does this as he elaborates with them. He says, not so with you instead. Whoever wants to become great among you. The Amplified Bible says, wants to be first in rank, wants to be the number one guy, the number one woman. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. So the third false message of power is, I get to be served. I'm entitled. There's a parallel passage to this in, in uh, Matthew 20, one of the other synoptic gospels, Matthew tells the same story. Mark, when he tells it, just says that James and John went to Jesus. Uh, uh, Peter was the main influence, by the way, in terms of Mark. He, he, he was, worked closely with Peter as, as he formed this gospel. Matthew sort of tells it from his own perspective. Matthew gives a little more detail that, that Mark doesn't include, and that is in, in Matthew 20, it's not James and John who initially come to Jesus. It's their mother who comes to Jesus. They sent their mama to ask. They're right behind. But they had mama come and say, hey, can my boys sit the right hand and the left hand? Oh, yeah, we, we, whatever you want, we can do. Their mama did it. I flew recently. When I, when I get on my flight, I want to stand in line so I can be the first one on the plane. Any of you like me? I think that's only right. I want to check to see if I'm being bumped to first class because I'm entitled. Maybe. I want to be first. I want to be first in line. I want to be first class. 
I want to be first out of the service when I'm in church. Any of you like that? I want to be first out of the parking lot. All this to promote the false impression and the feeling that I'm someone who's entitled. It's power done wrong. Power does not validate your superiority. It reveals your character. Power does not validate your superiority. It reveals your character. Whether you're a president or a parent. They flew me out to California to take this position. I went through all these days with the consultant and out to dinner and I was, you know, this was all heady stuff and they wanted to move me cross country and do that and, and at the tail end of the time I began to have some doubts. Doubts that I don't know if I was particularly suited for the, the position that they had for me. I didn't know if I had the passion for it. And as I went home I realized, you know, I don't, I don't think I was ready for it. And one of the gracious things that God did for me at that point in my life is he gave me the ability to say no to that position. I was not ready for that power. I look back, that would have been a, a poor move, not just the, in terms of my career or what I did with my life, but my walk with Christ and, and, and my individual growth. My run for the presidency of my seventh grade, I don't know if you had this experience when you were in grade school, I don't know if they do this, but we had to put our heads on our desks while we voted. You know, no one could look. Remember, you know, you put it in your crooked arm. Okay, everyone, heads down. And uh, Mr. Hathaway took the vote. I peeked. I, I confess to you, I peeked. I had this little eye out. I was looking straight at him. And uh, he, he mentioned my running opponent's name and uh, her name, and uh, he began to count. I saw him, you know, he said, okay. Now Jim Keller. And uh, I noticed that he didn't take as long counting uh, the one's hands. In fact, there weren't very many at all. And I remember seeing him. He didn't do this in front of us all, supposedly. I don't know if anyone else was speaking, but he erased my name from the board. So when they looked up, they said, this is our president. He didn't say, you, I lost. It's just my name was gone. Hey, it's okay to aspire to leadership. It's okay to aspire to positions of influence. It's okay even to aspire to positions of power. But power is a narrow path. And there are ditches and canyons on either side of this path, ditches of I'm better, chasms of I'm in control, canyons of I'm entitled. Let me reread these last verses. Let's hear them again, verse 43. Not so with you, Jesus said. Instead, whoever, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And listen to these last words. And to give his life. To give his life as a ransom for many. And I think, well, how do, how do I do power done right? Well, you'll have to come back next week for the power done right. I'm sorry. It's a little bit of a tease. But, but there is a way to do it and to do it well. 
Jesus gives us, obviously, a wonderful example here at the end of this passage. But just as a, as a little boost, I came across a quote uh, recently from Dallas Willard, who was a professor at University of Southern California in philosophy, a wonderful Christian man, prolific author, uh, wrote Spirit of the Disciplines and other fine books, just a, just a great mind. And uh, I was reading a book, and he was quoted in it, and this, this was the quote. He says, if you really want to experience the flow of love as never before, the next time you're in a competitive situation, pray that the others around you will be more outstanding, more praised, and more used of God than yourself. Let me read that to you again. Pray that the others around you will be more outstanding, more praised, and more used of God than yourself. Really pull for them and rejoice in their success. If Christians were universally to do this for each other, I love these words, the earth would soon be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Power done wrong. I get the glory. Power done right. God gets the glory. Let's live lives glorifying him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we live our lives day in and day out and we struggle with trying to control our circumstances and trying to to determine what it is that we deserve and trying to compete with others and, and prove ourselves to, to be uh, men and women who are substantive and, and many times better than other people, that, God, you would give us a better perspective, a perspective of humility that would take us to the foot of the cross, to the man who gave his life for us, his death for our life. And then I pray that as we consider Jesus laying down his power, that we as well would lay down our power, be obedient to you, and become servants, your servants, for your glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.